It was spring of 1984, and those were the first words I ever heard God sing over me. It was a challenging time in my life. I'd taken a break from college, I was going to Azusa Pacific, and felt like I was wasting my parents' hard-earned money, my hard-earned money, and a lot of time because I wasn't clear about what I wanted to study. So I took a gap and uh, agreed to sing with an offshoot of the Continental Singers. Anybody remember them? They weren't really just on this continent, but I was traveling with this group, and uh, it was a challenging time. There were six people in one van for three months. Ooh, right? It's a lot of time shared. Every night, we would sing at a church and enjoy a church potluck. Okay, that might have been a little bit of a lie. I'm not sure I enjoyed the church potlucks, because in the 80s, here's what happens. You get to the church, and the pastor goes, oh! We've asked our very best cooks to bring their favorite dishes for you. You know what those were? I ate a lot of macaroni and cheese, a lot of green bean casserole with the little fried onions on top, and then there was the ham. But best of all, or most memorable of all, was the red church punch. Did we drink it here at MCC back in the day? I bet you did. I don't think I eat, ate like a fresh piece of produce for those whole three months that I was traveling with them. Um, let me see if I can paint the picture of my experience with this group. And no, I'm not telling you their name. In fact, I've changed the names to protect the innocent and the weird in this story. Um, the difficulty began when the director of the group, who was just a few years older than I am, his name is, I'm going to call him Bob. And Bob turned to me one day and he said, uh, you know, Court, I'm going to meet my future wife in this group. And it's not Leslie. And I know you've already done the math. Leslie's the only other woman in the group. <laughs> Right? And so, oh no, yes, oh no, Christine, that's exactly right. That's what I'm thinking, oh no, six people, one fan, and I don't have a crush on him. So I tried to really gently say, gosh, I'm so honored by your interest in me. I'm sure I was this articulate in my 20s. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't have those feelings for you. And then he really had two options, right? In response, he could, um, although he was embarrassed, he could graciously say, oh, it's okay, I understand, or he could behave like a three-year-old. And again, I'm sure you've already figured out which choice he took. Um, but day after day, because he was so, his feelings were hurt, he was super unkind to me. Unkind enough that even Leslie said, I don't know why he's treating you this way. It's pretty bad. Six people, one van, one angry dude in the van with us. So one afternoon, we pull up to a church, and we're pretty early before the service, and so I walk in through this um, stained glass-filled sanctuary. I walk through, and I find the stairs to the balcony, and I walk up, up the stairs, and man, I just plunk down on the pew with a heavy heart and a heavy sigh. And I said, God, what am I supposed to do? There is no getting away from this situation. I don't know what to do. And those words are what God sang over me, rest within his sanctuary. People, it doesn't get better than this. I'm in a sanctuary and God is telling me to rest within his sanctuary. He's being super obvious and I needed that. There is shelter from the storm. You are safe within his refuge. I needed to know God's safety till he comes to take you home. Now, the person who wrote this song, I'm sure meant eternity, but for me, I needed to just get home and get out of the van with those people. And God used those words to comfort me. You know, God sings over me a lot in my life. 
If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we're in this great and super fun sermon series entitled Songs in the Key of Life. Davis students, you missed the piano man karaoke here. I mean, you missed the congregant dancing on the stage. I'll see what I can do today. Um, But the premise of the sermon series is that God uses music to reach us and that music reaches something deep within us that we often can't even articulate with words. That songwriters, both inside and outside the church, somehow have a way of expressing what we feel when we can't find the words. When I prepare to preach, here's a confession, I, um, I always ask these three questions. The first question is, what do I want you to know after you leave today? What do I want you to know? And then I ask, well, what do I want them to feel? Like, how do I want them to experience God? And then the third question is this, what do I want you to do as a result? It's the so what of preaching. It's great if you're amused, and I hope you will be at some moments today. It's great if you're inspired, and I hope you will be at some moments today. But I want you to be able to live your life in the freedom we just sang about because you've heard God's word and been with God's people. So today, I want you to know that your core wound is worth your attention. Your core wound is worth your attention. It can be ignored for a really long time. But if we want to live freely in Christ, we have to look back in order to move ahead in freedom. It's like Romans 12, 1 and 2. You guys know where I'm going. Therefore, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. you got to know what you're thinking about in order to change your thoughts. Secondly, I want you to feel the love of God for you today. The Spirit speaks to each of us in a unique way, and maybe the Spirit's already talked to you in the car ride on your way here. Maybe the Spirit has spoken to you through a song that we've already sung, or it will come from a conversation with someone you do or don't know in the lobby, or maybe it comes on the way home or later today, but the Spirit is always speaking, friends. I believe that to be true. I believe that God has something to say to each one of us today. Finally, I want you to leave today with at least one new tool, a way to practice your faith in your everyday life. So, let's go. Please join me in prayer. God of the billion stars and God of all of the words that are going to be said here today and the words that have been said and sung already, we open ourselves to you. God, I pray that you would hide me behind your word, that you would be evident, that your love would overflow, that it would seep into the deepest places within us that are wounded, and that as we leave today, that those scars would begin to look more like character as they're refined by you. And all God's children said, amen. Well, some of you know that I actually, um, ministry is my second career. I was in sales and marketing. And uh, I became a pastor because I was helping to lead worship. I was helping sing. I'm not going to tell you that story today. Save that for another day. But suffice it to say that music has been a big part of my life. And therefore, it was a big part of my children's lives. Um, When they were little... Okay, we use CDs, I know, I'm old. But we had CDs in the car. Often I would play music from Broadway musicals, and my girls still give me a hard time. They go, you know, we know every song from Ragtime. Don't know what the storyline is, but we know every song from it. And so we played music all the time, a lot at home, which meant then that there were dance parties in the kitchen. Anybody else like to dance? Yeah, okay. So. I want to know, speaking of dancing, is anybody, any of the other Italians in the room, you know what the tarantella is? No? I didn't say tarantula. I said tarantella. The tarantella is an Italian folk dance that's lots of spinning and there are tambourines involved in it. 
Um, and because of the constant movement in the Tarantella, another word has been derived from that dance title, and it's called Tarantism. If you have been here through this series, Hannah Keshkes, I don't know if you're in the room yet this morning, she has Tarantism. She can't sit still, right? She's just got to dance. Well, my girls definitely got that for me. I noticed it with my daughter Camille when she was about three. We were sitting in Starbucks. I know, isn't she cute? Right? We were sitting in Starbucks, and she was sitting at the counter with her kid's cocoa, and, you know, she's doing this. And then she just turned to me, and she said, Mommy, I gotta dance. She jumps down off the stool. She had this costume on, and she was dancing. And she, you know the phrase, dance like nobody's watching? That's Camille. So this Tarantism, it's a real thing. There is something about music that moves us at our very core. UC Berkeley has um, a research center called the Greater Good Science Center. If you're interested in positive psychology, go look them up. It's very, very interesting. But they surveyed more than 2,500 people in the United States and in China to see um, what people's emotional responses were to music. And they played everything from the Star Spangled Banner to Ed Sheeran's Shape of You. Um, how about George Michael's Careless Whispers? I mean, they played it all, right? And they were able to track 13 different emotions that music brings up in us. And those overarching feelings, you experience them when you listen to music too. Maybe it's joy, it's a sense of danger. If you've ever watched a film without the soundtrack, you know what a genius a Foley artist is, because they can make us feel things by the music they choose. We all have certain kinds of music that resonate with us. Okay, I gotta tell you. So last week, I learned that Jeff Mazzarello doesn't like country music. I, I'm gonna try and love him, I'm gonna try. <laughs> That might take some EGR extra grace required for him. Um, but there is, there's music for every mood. And um, of course, you know, you ever buy, like you buy a Prius and then all you can see on the road are Prius? You know what I'm talking about? So that's happened with me this week. I'm thinking about this sermon and the music and how it moves us. And then my friend Penny sends me an email and in it is a quote from Ernest Holmes. Listen to this. He said this, everything in life responds to the song of the heart. Cool. Just came into my inbox. Then, this week, I was watching a brand new TV show, I'd never even heard of it before, called Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And the character says this, and I'm sitting in my family room going, that's for me, right, God? The character said this, look, songs are all just an expression of our deepest wants and desires. Joy, pain, heartbreak, yearning, forgiveness, even revenge. Good music can make you feel things you can't express in words. Well, the Psalms are filled with refrains and songs that express our deepest longings. In fact, I almost titled this sermon, Sing a Psalm. Well, the booth was rocking out. Yeah, sing a psalm. It's what I hear every time I hear that song now. I love Earth, Wind, and Fire. There are other places in Scripture that talk about singing, and one of my favorite passages is from Zephaniah 3.17. Listen to God's word. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So if God is singing over me, why can't I always hear him? Right, I can look back to that day in the 80s, in that balcony, and I can remember, but I can't always hear God singing. In my own story, I couldn't always hear God singing because I was looking somewhere else for my significance. 
I was listening to other voices and looking to them to tell me that I was important. And that's a core wound that a lot of us carry, our need for significance. Here's the good news. There is core healing available in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the core healing is that our significance is given to us in Christ so that we might discover that we are God's beloved daughters and sons. This is an inside-out job, y'all. You can't take the things of the world and apply them to yourself and know you're beloved. This news comes from God alone. Some of you might know Celtic poet John O'Donohue, and he said this about our desires, our longings. Our desires are the messengers of our unlived life, calling us to attention and action while we still have time here to explore fields where the treasure dwells. What does that remind you of? Where your treasure lies, there lies your heart. Our treasure dwells in Jesus Christ. Most of us, we find other ways and places to try and feel or prove our significance in our world. Sometimes it's in our family, sometimes in our career, or perhaps even our social circle. And the problem is that as we're striving for this significance, we develop unhealthy habits. And we use those unhealthy habits to cope with our need. Maybe we overwork, we become codependent, we give too much of ourselves away and eventually become embittered. There are so many ways in which we are doing to be significant. And God invites us to just the opposite. God invites us to be with Him. The journey is to be to do for God, not doing for God to be. We actually sing about this in the song Reckless Love. Listen to these lyrics. Before I spoke a word, you, God, you were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You've been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you, God, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. You see it? It's God's doing. It's God who pursues us relentlessly and recklessly. It is his perseverance after us that matters. Our wounds deserve our attention. After 20 years in ministry and working with people week in and week out, I can tell you the pattern is pretty clear in a lot of us. That we learn to find our significance in some place other than Christ early in our life. And for many of us, that has come um, from our family of origin. That is in, true in my case. In my early life, there wasn't a time when there was someone on whom I could lean. There wasn't someone that I could entrust with my pain. The people who were around me, the adults who should have been my, my safety and my anchor on this earth, they couldn't be there for me. And I say couldn't because just like you, I, I was raised by broken humans who did the very best they could based on their own life story to raise me and love me. Because of the shape of my family of origin, my role was to be the dependable one. 
Instead of being the thermometer and just reading the temperature in the room, I functioned as the thermostat and learned that I had capacity con to control the temperature in the room. It's like the old Bill Withers song. Love this guy, I love his music. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow, but if we're wise, we know there's always tomorrow. Lean on me, man, I knew how to sing this. Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. It's a great song, but guess what? I was only singing the first part of it. Never dawned on me that I was going to have someone to lean on. It's true. I have needs, I had needs, but I didn't have capacity to lean on others. Friends, we learn what is modeled for us. And what was modeled for me in my family of origin was a pattern of rescuing. What I internalized from my upbringing was that I had to fix things a little bit like I thought of myself as a superhero. <laughs> no capes. Do you love him saying, oh, you can't generalize. Don't you see, I need my cape? And that was me. When people offered help, I'm like, no, 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 no. I got it, I got it. I can figure this out. The skills that I developed, the coping mechanisms I developed in my childhood helped me get through my childhood, but they began to, like that cape, work against me. I was sitting praying one day, and as often happens for me when I'm praying, the Holy Spirit provided an image, and I'm like, eh, I don't, what, what am I looking at here? So I continue praying, and I realize I can see a figure standing with their back to me, and they're wearing a cape. And God said, Court, take off the cape. It was way harder than I thought it was going to be to take off the cape. I'd start a little to untie it. And then I'd go, no, 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 I'm comfortable with this skill set. I'm comfortable taking care of other people. And the spirit would go very gently, take off the cape. No capes. And so I learned through prayer, through study, through practice, to take off the cape. I confess that there are still times when I realize, oh, I think I'm wearing a cape here. I need to take off the cape. God is greater than I. In this new practice of listening to God, I spent a lot of time in the scriptures and I used a lot of music and asked God to sing to me literally through songs I was hearing on the radio. Okay, who listens to the radio? On Spotify. <laughs> um, and I allowed God to provide new messages in my life. E.E. E. Cummings, the author, says this, <clears throat> to be nobody but yourself in a world which is doing its best night and day to make you everybody but yourself means to fight the hardest battle which any human being can fight. You and I are made in God's image with a specific soul shape, with a specific set of gifts and talents to be offered to this world. I had to learn to listen to who God says I am. I had to learn to listen to his voice. So I want to know this morning, do you know God's voice well enough to recognize it? Scripture tells us that we are God's children, the sheep of his pasture. Look at this word from John 10. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen instead of going through the gate, 
You know he's up to no good. A sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him, and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them, and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. You know, the stranger's voice, the sounds of this world are really, really loud. There are things vying for our attention all day, every day. So we have to get quiet to listen to the shepherd's voice. And our time with God is intended to fill us up to overflowing. I hope when I say that you're thinking of Psalm 23, right? Surely your goodness and your loving kindness, your mercy trail after me. It's not like a little drizzle, people. The imagery there is that our time with the Good Shepherd has filled us up so much, it's just spilling out over us. And everybody who comes in our pathway gets drenched and doused with God's goodness and loving kindness and mercy because the Shepherd has filled us to full. If we are not paying attention to the Shepherd's voice, it's a little bit like allowing the world and the sounds of the world and the other voices to become the lead singer right up front in our brain. So who is the lead singer in your life today? Do you need to make a shift and ask the voices of the world, get away, to push them behind and invite God to be front and center in your life? Remember back to Zephaniah 3, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I think sometimes we're afraid to listen to God's voice because we think rebuke is coming. His word tells us otherwise. He is rejoicing over you with singing. Author Annie Lamott says this, the soul rejoices when it hears what it already knows. Man, that sounds a lot like scripture. Music is resonant within us. It touches our wounds. Psalm 42, 7 says this about deep calling to deep. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. And then, as a pastor recently pointed out to me, it's like the psalmist steps out and looks at his soul and it says, why are you downcast, oh my soul? What is going on? You were rejoicing with the throngs in the church. Why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. He's bossing his soul around. He's saying, change your mind, change your ways. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast, therefore I will remember. I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep. What is down deep in our souls, committed to God, calls out to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. Have you all ever stood under a waterfall? You cannot hear the person next to you. It's stunning, the volume, really. Deep calls to deep. This week, will you stand under a waterfall and listen to God? My friend Dave is a critical care nurse, and he's been going through a really tough season in his own life. And he told me something recently I thought I would share with you. He said, you know, I don't feel like going to church very much, but I go. And I get there, and, and I'm so weary, and the grief is so profound that I'm sitting there, but I, I can't sing. He said, you know what? Something happened a couple weeks ago. I, I realized that 
I don't have to sing. I can sit in the midst of God's people singing around me, and I can allow their rejoicing to be my rejoicing. I can allow their faith to become mine. They envelop me, and then he said this, I don't have to do anything, Courtney, I just have to be. There it is. Just be and let God love you. And Dave is learning that. When I started to unpack my own core wound, I realized I wasn't leaning on others and that it was unhealthy to only have people leaning on me. And so some of my practices were to sit with Christian friends who knew me well and ask them to reflect God's gifts to me. Ask them to remind me, who does God say I am? Because I don't believe this right now. I also learned a lot from my friends who are really close to Jesus. You know, we learn, as I said earlier, we learn what is modeled for us. I read an interesting story about a dog recently, and I wanted to share it with you. There um, was a dog who lived with a family, and she got out of the gate, and she ran out into the street, and I know this is the hard part, she got hit by a car. So when the car hit her, it damaged both of her hind legs. I took her to the vet, She's probably not going to walk on all four legs again, but you know what? She's pregnant. You're going to have puppies. So the time comes. The mama dog is still dragging herself around with her useless hind legs. She has perfectly healthy puppies, but guess what? They drug themselves around, not using their very healthy, normal hind legs, because that's what their mama did. We learn what is modeled for us. So there is a happy ending to this story. The dog owners brought in some other dogs, and the puppies, by watching the healthy dogs and practicing with the healthy dogs, walked on all four of their legs. Friends, we learn what is modeled for us. I want you to see, as you listen to this song, see if you can hear God inviting you in a different way as you consider leaning on God and others leaning on you. Please swallow your pride, the lyrics say, if I have things you need to borrow. For no one can fill those of your needs that you won't let show. Telling the truth matters. Telling the truth about the whole of our story and our core wound matters. All right, I said tools, here we go. I want you to know that you already have the tools within you, the capacity to hear God singing. It just takes more rehearsal. I want to share with you one practice that has worked for me. During the darkest days following my divorce, when the world seemed to be saying to me over and over and over again, you are insignificant. You've lost your significance. I read the same psalm, Psalm 71, aloud, every day, every day for 18 months. I pulled the message version up on my phone or I had it printed on a piece of paper and I would sit in my backyard and I would watch the birds and remember Jesus' words to me about the birds, his words to us. Though they neither reap nor sow, still they are precious to God. And I read and read and read that psalm and there's a section right in the middle that says, in the message version, now you, David says to God, now you who made me stare trouble in the face, turn me around that I might look life full in the face. When we look at our core wounds 
and we give them the attention they need. We can look life full in the face. You know, reading God's Word aloud every day reminded my brain of something I believed even though I certainly did not feel it and my circumstances did not demonstrate it. I stopped ignoring my core wound. I decided the safest, wisest place to lean was on God. And I learned, I learned to do this. And those scars, that core wound, have become more like character in me. So now when someone leans on me, they're not actually leaning on me, they're leaning on me as I'm leaning on God. Man, that's pretty strong. God is faithful. The Psalms have so many sweet reminders, and I'm gonna give you one final one to take home with you. If you wanna jot this down, you can. Psalm 95, verses six and seven. Again, I love the message version, which is in our modern language. If you so desire, you can close your eyes and let me read it for you. Come, let us worship, bow down before him, on your knees before God who made us. Oh yes, he's our God, and we're the people he pastures, the flocks he feeds. Drop everything and listen. Listen as he speaks. This week, will you drop everything? in some moments, and listen as God speaks. So I invite you to do this. Pick a song. Pick a psalm. Look for God's words to you through a song, through God's people. Hear God's words to you through God's word. And then hear, as he sings over you, God's words to you through a song. Amen.